You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. The Lord is good, huh? Such amazing worship times. Lately, the Lord has been ushering us into, and I just thank you for going there with us. We are going to dive into 1 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. Before we, before we do that, I want to bring you into my world a little bit. Um, you know, the Lord's had me and my wife uh, here in Ames for the last 10 years, and it has, it has been a joy and a privilege and an honor. It's been wild. Um, 10 years ago, we came here. We didn't know a soul in Iowa, sincerely. Like We were like Sean and Megan. We were just uprooting and trusting the Lord's call upon our lives. And, um, and so much has happened over the last 10 years. So, so many amazing breakthroughs, so many uh, individuals have encountered the Lord, and uh, so much health and life been, that has been brought into this church. And I don't say that because of me. I say, like, we have got, got to view God's work before our eyes. Um, but I really feel like, as of late, much, much of the time through 2020, the Lord has been calling me, calling me to prepare um, for, for the next 10 years, to prepare for the next season ahead. In a lot of ways, I feel like we are just getting started here in Ames. Like, like he's almost asking us to prepare for a marathon. It's like we've just been warming up. We've just been stretching. We've just been getting ready. And it's like he's been calling us to prepare for what is to come. And I think that, inta- that takes intentionality. That takes um, like thoughtfulness, prayerfulness. And so I started sharing some of this with, with our older team about a month and a half ago, maybe going on two months now. And, um, and we really came to the place where um, we're confident they, they gave the affirmation of this for me to take a season of rest, a season to step away um, through this summer. So um, to draw a line in the sand between prior 10 years and the next 10 years, I really feel like the Lord is calling me to, to go up the mountain and, and seek his face. You know, I... I seek the Lord every single week for a word to give to this church family that I love dearly. And I feel like in many ways God is calling me to go to the mountain and seek him just to receive, not for anybody, but just to receive. So so this is something um, that you should be joyful about. The Lord has established a healthy church. We have an amazing staff, pastoral staff team um, this summer that is going to lead the charge. And um, June 28th, we'll trust the Lord and uh, step out in faith, just believing that he's going to meet us there in that place, in that wilderness season, that he's going to replenish, replenish our tanks and fill us up. And, uh, and then uh, we'll be back, rearing to go, just set on fire, filled up, overflowing, uh, August 28th, we will be back. Um, so, so June 27th will be my last Sunday, and we'll take a season of rest, and we'll be back. Uh, August 29th will be my first Sunday back. So uh, hopefully that makes sense. I say this a couple weeks before we're actually um, disconnecting and falling off the grid, uh, just so you can, you can come to us. Obviously, like we, we seek to be very personable people, um, and we live immersed in this community. So... 
That's why I say this a couple weeks in advance. You can come to us and talk to us and ask, ask us questions. Um, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We've been in uh, the book of 1 Samuel for a number of weeks now. Um, as the Lord is awakening his church, as he's awakening us to see him for who he is. And, uh, and part of that awakening is awakening his, his church to worship, to be worshipers. And as I was just talking about before we, we sang that hymn, uh, we all worship something. We are created to worship. We all give ourselves to something. Even when we distance ourselves from the Lord, we are giving ourselves to something else. If it's not to the Lord, it's to something else. And so it would make sense then that if the Lord is awakening people to, to who he is, if he's opening the eyes of people to who he is, that part of that awakening would also be uh, a call back to true worship, a call to clean the house, to clear out all the clutter and the distractions of our lives so that he becomes the, the focal point. He becomes preeminent. He becomes number one in our hearts and our minds. And so that's happening here in Israel in 1 Samuel 7. Um, in 1 Samuel 3, we read about how God raised up a Samuel, a prophet for Israel because they had taken the things of God for granted. There was this priest, Eli, that had really um, uh, treated the things of God casually and had uh, done some wicked things. And so God raised up a Samuel to call the people back to the things of God. Um, the Israel still had to suffer a certain judgment for the things that had taken place in their generation. And part of that judgment we talked about last Sunday night was the Ark of the Covenant being taken from Israel uh, into the hands of the Philistines. And, and that, that banner was written over Israel, uh, Ichabod, which means to be without the kabod, to be without the glory, um, which is, I believe, the greatest judgment that can come upon the people of God, for the glory of God to depart from the house of God, for that not to be our distinctive. The glory meaning the splendor and the beauty of God. If the splendor and the beauty of Jesus is not what we're known for, we should shut this whole thing down, right? And so the greatest judgment upon a people is for the glory to depart um, because then you're just a common, uh, nameless, faceless people without the glory of God. So that happened in 1 Samuel chapter four. Um, and the Lord in his mercy restored the glory to Israel. The Ark of the Covenant came back to Israel and that's where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter seven. So let's read this. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and they took up the Ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the Ark of the Lord. And from the day that the Ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So the glory of God returned to Israel, but not in its, the place that the Lord had originally established it in Shiloh. With the, the priestly duties already established with Eli and his household, uh, and now Samuel. 
Instead, the ark, ark dwelt in Kiriath-Jerim, in these northern hills of Israel, north of Jerusalem and north of Shiloh. And I want us to always remember that the Lord will find a people. Even if it's not his first choice, the Lord will always find a company of people that are humble, humble enough to seek him for who he is and that, that host him well. And so here, the Lord found some country folk. He found some, some people from the hill country of, of Kiriath-Jerim who would be humble enough to even set aside their normal duties as um, people of the, the hills. I don't know if they farmed or if they were shepherds or, or what they were, but they, were, they had their normal stuff that they did. And they actually, for a moment, they, for 20 years, they set that aside to make preeminent hosting the Ark of the Covenant, allowing the Ark to be the glory of God to dwell in their community. And so the Lord will always find a company of people. And I hope this is encouraging to you. For us here in Ames, Iowa, we are smack dab in the middle of our country. We're not in New York or Los Angeles. We're not in some, some uh, urban hub. Instead, we're a hungry people here in middle America saying, God, choose us, pick us. We are hungry. We want to host you well. We want your glory to be seen and known in our midst. This encourages my heart. That God is not so much concerned about geographic location as much as the condition of our hearts, the humility of our hearts to recognize him and his beauty and say, God, come and have your way. And so there is this humbling that's beginning to happen in Israel. There's a turning of, of hearts back to the Lord. We saw that in 1 Samuel chapter 4 as Israel was defeated by the Philistines and they fell flat on their faces and they realized, oh, oh, the thing that was their distinctive, the thing that was their power was the glory of God. It wasn't their own military might. And so they lost the Philistines because of their foolishness. And so they were humbled. Like sometimes we're humbled like because we're given a chance to respond to the Lord's invitation. Sometimes we're humbled just because we, we fail, right? Because we mess up, because we fall on our faces. And that's what happened here uh, in, in Samuel's generation. They fell flat on their faces and they were humbled. And there was this humbling sweeping across the land. It says that Israel lamented after the Lord in verse two, right? That actually uh, the New English version, or, uh, the New International Version, the NIV version, says that they mourned and they sought after the Lord. So there was this like sadness, this sorrow that came across the land and people began to turn their hearts toward the Lord. And the Lord is so patient. Aren't you thankful that he's patient with you? I'm thankful that he's patient with me and he's so relentless. Look at how long it took for this humbling to really uh, gain traction in the hearts of Israel. It says 20, year, 20 years. Right in verse 2. A long time passed, some 20 years. There was 20 years of the Lord waiting, the Lord's patience. The Lord was clearing things out. And I believe here in Ames, in our own church, the Lord has been cleaning things out. He's been cleaning things out in my, my heart making space for him to take center stage in all, in all that is around here. Our, our modern culture oftentimes tricks us into believing that once we surrender our lives to him, that everything instantly changes, right? 
Like you surrender your life to Christ, you experience the born again experience that Jesus talks about in John chapter three and everything changes. Well, that's not, that's not reality. That's not the gospel that we read about in the New Testament. You experience new life in Christ, but you're also, what, what's, what's begun in you is, is a new life that's marked by an infancy. You are, you are like brought back to life, but now as an infant. And now there is this maturing that needs to take place. There's this growth that needs to take place. And we are constantly being transformed into the image of Christ. And so I'm thankful for the Lord's patience, for his relentless love in my life. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that's the gospel, that there is freedom, that he came to declare freedom for the captives. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, to beholding the beauty of the splendor of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Lord is doing this work in our lives, bringing us from glory to glory, turning us into the image of Christ. That is the gospel. Not everything instantly changes. There's a spiritual reality that's initiated, but, it, but we are still uh, subject to the flesh in many ways, and the Lord is bringing us on a journey of crucifying the flesh and being brought from one glory to another to bearing the actual image of Christ that people would see his beauty and his splendor through our lives. That is the work of the gospel. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that's 10, 15, 20 years of a sanctifying work in our lives. Let's keep reading verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, and this is really the, the key verse for the morning. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the ashtoreth and they served the Lord only. So 20 years of just relentless wooing and drawing the hearts of Israel back, back to the Lord. And then the Lord brings them to this crossroads. He brings them to this, this decision point, this invitation. This is the, the point where Samuel then calls the people back to the Lord. Okay, there's this humbling sweeping across the land. There's a sorrow for the stupidity, for their failures of the past, But repentance needs to go beyond just sorrow for bad decisions of the past. You know, they they had failed miserably. They had been humiliated in in a sense uh, by this neighboring nation. And so you could easily see how they'd maybe just feel really bad about it. Like, oh man, that was was really stupid. I I feel remorseful for it. I feel sad. There's sorrow in my heart. But, But Samuel knew the Lord wanted more than just sorrow, more than godly sorrow. It was actually a turning of their hearts back to the Lord from all the old way of things towards the Lord's best for them. So it's a turning from here, what he's calling them to is to turn from idols, to turn from foreign gods. So he says, if we are returning to the Lord with all our heart, then put away the foreign gods and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He's after your heart. And the fruit of a heart that's completely, uh, completely the Lord's 
is a putting away of these other affections, of these other loves. He's talking about the affection of our hearts. I asked you that question this morning. What is the affection of your heart? What is it that your heart really loves? What, what is it that captures your attention? Maybe it's entertainment or sports or, or your kids. What is it? Maybe it's money. If you were being asked this question by Samuel, if you are returning to the Lord, then will you put away these foreign gods, these idols, these things that direct your heart away from the Lord, direct your heart to him, serve him only. When godly sorrow comes upon us, we begin to seek after the Lord, then it'll always be these crossroads or these decision points. If we're returning, then we put away other loves. This has happened so many times in my life. And I believe even this season that I'm, I'm coming into, as we step into a season of rest and get away, I believe there is like a resetting of my first love, like the Lord calling us back to first things. Like I, I used to be a nuclear engineer before I, I stepped into ministry. And when I first stepped into ministry, my, there was a purity in my heart, an abandonment to the things of the Lord that was crystal clear in my heart and mind. But I've noticed over the last 10 years that being uh, softened and, and beaten down by, by all sorts of, of different things, just the grind of things. And if there's anything that I want to mark my life, it's a, it's a first love for Jesus, that I love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in, in many ways, the season that I'm stepping into is a season of reestablishing that, returning to him with all of my heart, And moments like this are moments of counting the cost. Like, will you go there with him? It's scary to do things different, to put aside other affections. Will you trust him with this part of your life? Will you put away this thing that's stolen your attention or your love? You know, in New Testament terms, Jesus says it in Luke chapter 9, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's what we were just singing about. Like you empty yourself of, of everything that's, that's not of the Lord, and he, what he does is he comes and gives you life. You, you lose your life, and you will gain it in him. You will save it. For what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? That is the kind of the, the paradox of the gospel. Jesus doesn't share the stage with anyone. No one. And so the Philistines, the Canaanites, the, all the neighboring nations, Jebusites, Midianites, all the ites, they, they all were polytheistic, polytheistic uh, nations. And all these, the slew of uh, you know, amalgamation of uh, spiritual practices and so it would be easy for them in this most recent situation for them to have captured the Ark of the Covenant. And, they, they, and you can read the story yourself. Uh, they stick the Ark of the Covenant next to the other gods. And what is the other god? I mean, God makes the other gods actually bow, the statues actually bow down to the Ark of the Covenant. Because like, God's not going to share the stage with anybody. And so the other, the other nations can easily put uh, Yahweh next to Ashtoreth and Baal and Asherim. Um, but the Lord's not going to have it that way. And Jesus will not share the stage 
with, any, with anyone. He won't have it. In fact, Scripture says that God is jealous. In fact, Exodus 34 says his name is jealous. So just like God is, is love, just like God is just, just like he is, he is um, merciful and he's good, he is jealous. Exodus 34, verse 13, 14 says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram for you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. We usually think of jealousy as like a form of insecurity in human terms. But this Hebrew word, his name is jealous, is talking about his desire for exclusivity in relationship. So it actually points to the uniqueness of Yahweh to all other gods and the fact that he longs for relationship. You see Baal and Ashtoreth and Ashram and all the other uh, gods of the polytheistic nations, they weren't relational gods. They were gods of whom you needed to appease through your works, through your, you need to somehow please through all these rituals. Yahweh stands apart from all of that in the fact that he is relational. He is love. So there's this desire, not out of insecurity. He doesn't, he's actually in need of no one. But because it's for your greater good that he desires exclusivity of relationship. He wants you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, will, and strength. So will you go there with him? If you are returning to him with all of your heart, then will you put away these other things? And the context is always relationship. Where people get this wrong is when they twist it into some sort of uh, workspace salvation or they, they work it into some sort of legalistic culture and community. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the context of love relationship of a God who's wooing your heart. He's beginning to direct your heart towards him. He brings you to these crossroads. Will you take up your cross now? Will you follow him daily, it says, Luke chapter 9. Will you take up your cross daily today? Drew, like, will you die to yourself today, Drew? Will you stop preaching every week and just get, just allow my love to pour into you? Will you? Will you go there with him? There's so much awaiting you on the other side. There's a promise of deliverance. You see that in verse three. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. There is a victory and a freedom from oppression that the Lord is inviting you into, but it's always at the crossroads of, of our surrender. It's always at the crossroads of our willingness to lay down our will for his. This is how Andrew Murray said it, that we find the Christian life so difficult because we seek God's blessing while we live in our own will. You know, Andrew Murray lived 150 years ago in South Africa but that's a very apt description of, of much of the, the gospel that's preached in the Western church of a, a Christian life that seeks after the blessings of God, but never with that call to lay down our own will. But Luke chapter nine, Jesus calls us to lay down our lives so that we gain life. The psalmist said it earlier, long for him. And what you'll find then is that your life will be filled with the only thing that truly satisfies so he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. This is the promise of deliverance that we all long for. And it's at this paradoxical place of surrender, of, of 
tearing down these idols. I'll maybe dial this down to more like practical um, realms. I remember in high school, I was, I was just infatuated with sports. Uh, like 7 a.m., my alarm would go off and I would grab the sports section of the newspaper and I would, I would just devour the, the sports section, the stat lines, the back page with all the breakdowns of the games. I would memorize the stats, not because anybody was gonna quiz me or, or anything. It's just, I loved it. I was devouring. I, I just had this true affection for sports. And I was fascinated by all the nuances of it, and I ate it up. And uh, I recorded the games. I was the guy that cried if my team lost. I'm not even joking. Um, I cried. So I collected the stuff. I watched every game. Um, This is back in the day of VHS. I literally had stacks of VHSs of games that I recorded. Um, But I came into college, and the Lord began to draw my heart more and more towards him. And it was a crossroads like this. Like, Drew, if you're directing your heart towards me, then will you put aside these foreign things, these other affections, these other loves? I never felt like it was this this heavy-handed, like disapproving uh, invitation from the Lord. I felt like it was in the context of, of relationship that he's drawing my heart and he's actually giving me the capacity to say, okay, Lord, I trust you, that you're taking me to a good place. And now I look back at those sacrifices, me setting aside, like me reorienting the priorities of my life, and, and it almost seems silly now. Andrew Murray later says, There are things that we don't bring to our Lord Jesus and ask him about. Oh, I advise you, Christians, bring everything into relationship with Jesus. If we'd be honest, we kind of like to have compartments in our life. Like there's some spots that we still are king of, we are still Lord of. And sometimes these other affections, they become that. They they become these, these places where we still can have our way, we can still have our desires And these things kind of fill us and they allow us to cope with the world around us. But the Lord in his goodness, he's inviting us away from those things because really those things are oppressors. I remember recently having a conversation with a young man who had just surrendered his life to the Lord and he he was telling me about, I mean, he had never, never been to church much in, in his entire life. So he didn't know much about the gospel, didn't know much about the Bible. Um, but he talked about how when he was, even in our gatherings, wanting to surrender his life to Christ, the thing he was wrestling with was giving up uh, certain music that he, he thought was uh, inappropriate. It wasn't good music. I didn't tell him it wasn't good music. He, he thought it wasn't good music. Um, and he was, he was like, if I surrender my life to Christ, I'm gonna have to give up this, this, this bad music until he encountered the love of Jesus. And he realized that first he needs to be born again. He needs to surrender his entire will to the Lord. He needs to to put his faith in Jesus, believing that if he confesses the the Lord as, as savior of his life, that God really raised him from the dead, that he can be saved. It's from that place of infancy, of being born again, the Lord's gonna take you on a journey of, yes, laying down these things that that don't feed your soul, that don't feed your heart. The requirements for being born again in this life is to surrender your heart to the king who paid the price for you to be clean. There's no checklist after that. 
But this is the caveat. You are invited into relationship. It's actual relationship. That's not just talk. That's not just lingo. And this is what relationship looks like. You surrender your life to him. You experience a born again life. Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of you. So that means you begin to talk to him every single day. You talk with him. Like he's your friend because Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You start to commune with him. You start to talk with him. You begin to immerse yourself in his word. This is the revelation of who God is to you, to humanity. You begin to pour over this, allow it to pour over your heart, pour over your mind. You begin to surround yourself with community, like-hearted believers who are going after the Lord, who encourage you in your faith. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so you're empowered to be a witness in the world around you. And what you begin to realize in the context of that relationship, that those, those things, yeah, the things that you allow to flood into your mind and your heart through music and media, and the, the old things that you allowed um, to be the coping mechanisms with this world begin to fade into the horizon because the Lord brings you to these crossroads. Drew, if you are directing your heart towards me, then lay aside these affections of your heart. He's taking us deeper. And the question is, will we go there with him? If we are returning to him, then will we put away these other things? And the context is always in the context of relationships. So let's keep reading in verse five. Then Samuel said, so there was this 20 years of sorrow and humbling and there was a, a crossroads that he brought them uh, to. Like, will you truly repent? Will you really t- turn? And then he gives them this charge. Gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So he discerned that their hearts truly were turning to the Lord. They truly were turning from these other idols. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So this seems like a repeat of chapter 4 when they went against the Philistines, but everything's different now. Now they've been humbled. Now they realize they don't fight their own battles. It's the glory of God that actually is their distinct power. And the people of Israel said to, said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Like their heart posture is completely different now. It's like, Lord, you are the one we depend on. So Samuel took up a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And you guys can uh, sing that song, King Jesus. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men men of Israel went out from Mizpah and they pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. So victory came that day. Their deliverance came that day. And the reason was because the Lord fought their battles. It was the Lord that did it. The Lord did what he promised in verse three, that when they truly turned from these other affections, when they directed their hearts truly towards him, that he would go before them and deliver them from the Philistines. This is such a beautiful passage because in these few verses, what we see more than anything 
is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we cannot save ourselves in our own power. The Israelites finally realized that. They finally came to the end of themselves and they realized they needed the Lord. They needed the glory of God. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like that statement in 1 Samuel 4, Ichabod is written over all of us. The glory has departed because we have all sinned. And so the glory has departed from our lives. And so what the invitation to the gospel that Jesus presents is for the glory to be restored. And he is the only one through whom that's possible. So Jesus is the glory. He is the the Ark of the Covenant being restored to his people. There was this physical representation of the glory of God. His name is Jesus coming to earth 2,000 years ago. And he is the thing that makes your life distinct. You departed from him when you sinned, when you and I sinned. And the glory is meant to be restored in our lives. So we see Jesus as the ark being restored to Israel. We see Jesus being the, this mediator. You see Israel cries out and they, says, they say, continue to cry out to the Lord for us. Jesus becomes our Samuel. He is our mediator, the one interceding on our behalf. On our behalf. Romans chapter eight tells us that, that he is the one interceding on our behalf on the right hand of the Father. And thirdly, what, Sam, what does Samuel do? He offers a sacrifice of a perfect lamb. Jesus is our lamb offered on our behalf as our perfect sacrifice. He is the glory, he is our mediator, and he is our perfect sacrifice. It's Jesus. And so then there's this beautiful description in verse 12. It says, and you can all stand to your feet. We're gonna respond to the Lord. It says, then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. And he called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. That was now the banner over Israel. It was the Lord's provision, the Lord's power, not their own strength, not their own might. It was the Lord's glory. The Ark of the Covenant being restored, the Lord providing a mediator, the Lord providing a sacrifice. If you'd all close your eyes and bow your heads in this place. I've been praying for a tenderness in our hearts, for a willingness to lay down our idols and direct our hearts towards God in the context of relationship. I know everyone in this place is in a different place in their relationship with God. This morning, more than anything, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him. I believe the Lord is willing to take us as far as our level of surrender. So what affection is what affection is the Lord calling you to lay down this morning? What is it that's stealing your attention, stealing your affection? What compartment are you trying to keep for yourself? If you are directing your heart towards the Lord, then put away these things. 
That's what the Lord is, is telling you today. Jesus wants to take center stage in your life. He wants to lead you to places you never thought possible. He wants you to experience a freedom and a deliverance that you never thought was possible. There may be ways from your past, ways of living from your past and addictions and mindsets that you, ne- you, th- you thought you could never be delivered from. Well, the Lord is giving you an invitation this morning. Would you lay down your will? Would you lay down these these things that you're keeping for yourself, these affections. And will you trust him? Will you go there with him? Lord, I stand before my church family. And I do believe as a church, you're calling us in a fresh way to a pure, more devoted love for you. And in the same breath, I'm asking for a grace to avoid the traps of legalism and and dead religion. But at the same time, Lord, I don't want to miss the power of the gospel, which is freedom, which is deliverance, which is victory, which is a joy of living life fully surrendered and abandoned to your purposes. So God, have your way in our midst this morning. As you do in intimate relationship with each one of us, I pray that you'd highlight other affections that you're calling us to surrender, you're calling us to lay down in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.